We have a new series that we're, we're starting called Freedom. Um, it's a journey through Galatians. Before we hop into that, it's been on my heart all week, and I just want to do that. Not everybody was here last week, but here's what I want to do as the pastor of this church. I want to apologize publicly for anything that I may have said last week that may have offended anybody. Now, I don't believe anything I said last week was not truth or not biblical. Um, and those of you who are you're here for the first time, you're hearing me say this stuff and you're like, I ain't coming back. What is this guy doing? But the gospel message and what God has done for us and what Jesus says of his church followers of him sometimes is already offensive. It already puts people off. And as a communicator of the gospel, sometimes the things I say can come across as heartless or without love and grace and truth. And if I said anything last week that may have felt like that to anybody, that was not my intention. And I just wanted to apologize to you. Um, if you need clarity or have questions, because I've had some people ask questions this week about certain things, feel free to, um, to email me at Marcus at Impact City LA or you can ask me right after church and I'm not opposed to having a conversation with you about it. But I just had to get that off my chest because it's been eating me up all week and I don't want to, anybody to walk out of the church where I've communicated got the gospel and felt like, man, that was, that was uh, offensive and I didn't want to offend anybody. So I apologize if I had done that. Um, and if you're not offended and you walked away like, man, that was great, then all right, cool, 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 cool. Just, it was great. That's all we need to know. But uh, today we begin a new teaching series called Freedom. It's a journey through the book of Galatians. And in this series, we'll be unpacking together the life of freedom that Christ Jesus has given us. And the reason why the book of Galatians was written was because Paul was writing to, and I'm going to go into who Paul was and Galatians and all that, but the reason why this book, Galatians, was written is because Paul was tackling a very, very, using a small book to tackle a very big question. And the question that people were asking then, and what I believe is still important now, is the simple question of, is of are we saved by Jesus alone or are we saved by Jesus plus some work that I do? Simpler terms. Has what Jesus done on the cross for me, dying on the cross in my place, is that enough to save me, to bring me into right relationship with God? Or do I need to believe in what Jesus did on the cross and also help him out by doing some extra stuff? Paul was writing about that then. That was a big question in the early church. But I still believe that in 2020, for the church, for Christianity, for our world, I think that's still a question that we have to answer. There are a lot of different things to believe in. You know, you, on Instagram or the, the access to the internet provides us with a lot of different information, a lot of different beliefs and things like that. And so sometimes what we do is we marry what we're reading in other places with the faith we currently have. And so now, just being a Christian, just doing what Jesus has said to do to be in relationship with him, sometimes it's not enough in our minds. And so we're going to be tackling that, unpacking that together. What does it mean to have freedom in Christ? What does that mean to have a life of freedom in Christ and live it through his Holy Spirit? So that is what this series, Freedom, is all about. So as a family, I told you guys I have a wife. We have three children, um, ages 16, 12, and 8. 
And there are a lot of things that we talk about, a lot of things that we remember. We'll just be laughing and talking and stuff like that. Sometimes my kids would just bust up laughing about stuff that they all remember it. And me and my wife are like, what are y'all talking about? But for them, it's, it's like it's special. It's worth remembering. And um, they talk about family trips. We took a cruise a couple years ago. All three of our kids, if you've ever been on a cruise, you know that those cabins are really small. Um, and like there was a bunk bed above my head, so I couldn't even sit up in the bed. There was bunk beds across the way. I'd never been on a cruise before, so now I know to get two cabins next time because it's really a small space. If you've never been on a cruise, you don't understand what I'm saying, but if you've, never, but if you've been on a cruise, you add five people to the size of a cabin, it's like torture for parents, right? But the kids had a great time. They had a great time. Um, we've gone to Seattle a few springs ago, and you know we do some family trips to Las Vegas, but one thing we did a couple of years ago on Christmas was we went to Disneyland. And anybody, you guys been to Disneyland? Can you afford to go to Disneyland anymore? I don't know if I can. I really don't know if I can. But we, got on, we went to Disneyland, and we rode the ride, the Matterhorn. You guys been on the Matterhorn? And I never rode that ride before. Been to Disneyland a ton of times, but never ridden the Matterhorn. And so we get on the Matterhorn. It's, all, it's a bobsled-type ride, and it's only three seats in every slide or a sled. And so me and my boys, my boy who is, uh, he was about 15 maybe about the time. That means that my youngest was about, I think he was younger than that. My youngest, who's eight now, would have been about five or six. So we get in the sled, and, and Marcus, little Marcus, who was six, he goes in the front. Now, I've never ridden this ride before. He's in the front, Jaden's in the middle, I'm in the back. And so we're going down, this, on, down the mountain and going, and all of a sudden we hit a turn and there's a Yeti that pops out. It's like, ah! And Mark is like, ah! And he screams, and he's five, he's freaked out, he's riding in the front, and I'm like, oh snap, I didn't know that was gonna happen. So he's seen, you know, some people like to ride in the front on a roller coaster, Marcus will not ride in the front on a roller coaster ever again, because he was freaked out by that. But, so the ride is, is, is not so long, the sled's not so long, so I put my hand on, I'm like, you're okay, you're okay, and we're going around this ride, and he's screaming and all that stuff. Kids are cracking up and dying, like, we're laughing about it afterwards, but Marcus almost like wet himself during the ride. Some things are just worth remembering. The title of this message is worth remembering. There are some things that you hear, some things that you learn that are just worth remembering. They stick with you in a way because of how they made you feel, how they set you free, how they um, informed you, how they, how they changed the way you lived and went about your life. Some things are just worth remembering. I remember the day I got married. It's worth remembering. I remember the birth of all three of my kids. It's worth remembering. And there are some terrible things that happen in our life, too, that we may not deem worth remembering, but but we remember them because maybe something positive came out of that experience. It is so with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It's so worth remembering because on one end, it is so tragic, it is so sad, it is so brutal and graphic that if you saw the Passion of the Christ movie or if you know anything about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, if you've seen any of the imagery, it is so bloody, it is so sad, it is so destructive in nature that you can't shake some of those images. On the other hand, what you see is it's, it's worth remembering because it is the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He gave his life on the cross for us and through faith in him, we come to relationship with God. It is the God who's come in the form of man and he's lived the life that we couldn't live. And we're like, man, we're scratching our heads trying to, like God did that. 
And because no matter what side of the spectrum you're on, all of it mingled together is worth remembering. Paul writes to the Galatian church and he says some things to them. And I invite you all to, um, if you have a Bible app or if you have a physical Bible, to go with me to Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. And I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible Translation. And it says this. Paul writes and he says this. I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel. But there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. He's so emphatic about it. He says it twice. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, a curse be on him. For am I now trying to persuade people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And all you need to know in that about the curse is that he's saying that anyone who takes God's message and tries to distort it, they are under the judgment of God because God's gospel message belongs to him. And he gets to say what it is and what it's not. And if anybody wants to change that, there's a curse, there's a penalty for that action. The Apostle Paul, the ap Apostle means sent one, was a missionary. He was a church planner, much like we are ch a church planner. And he would travel, you guys have my map? He would travel, he traveled all throughout Asia and all that stuff early. And he traveled to this region right here, this gray region called Galatia, which is modern day Turkey. So Paul, who, whose home base was here, he traveled out of here around and made a couple of different trips. So all these arrows, all that means, it just lets you know where he traveled as a missionary spreading the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Now, in, in American history, we would look at this and say, oh man, like, that looks like kind of like coloniza colonization. Paul wasn't a colonizer. Paul wasn't going trying to disrupt how these people lived as far as taking over them and, um, and setting up a new rule. What he was doing was traveling with this message of freedom to all these nations because Jesus said to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. So Paul and a team of people, other disciples and believers, took that very literally to heart and they set out to travel by boat, by donkey, by whatever to get to these various nations. He, the gospel spreading there. You don't see Europe on there. You don't see America on there. It's not like we think about Christianity today. It was pure. It was simple. It was, it was safe. He wasn't using it to kill people, to enslave anybody, but he was using it to set them free from bondage of sin and to set up the kingdom of God in various places. He traveled from there. He never stayed anywhere too long, but he would travel and do that. Galatia believed in the message that he brought them. But when Paul left, certain other people, they were called Judaizers, Judaizers who, who believed in the way to be connected to God meant that you had to keep the law or the Old Testament, Ten Commandments, you may have been, you may know it like that. And they said that in order to be part of God's family, you gotta keep the Ten Commandments. 
You got to eat a certain way. You have to be circumcised. So if your boys or your sons are not circumcised, they can't be part of the part of God. And you observe certain days like taking the Sabbath on Saturday and you have to do this and you have to do that. So after Paul preached freedom, these other people came back and preached bondage. You guys tracking with me so far? Paul came. He preached freedom. People came in and started preaching bondage again. And so Paul writes to them to remind them of what he taught them. He's their pastor. He's their shepherd. He's caring for them. He he set up the church. He did what God said to do. He put leaders in place. But word got back to him like, hey, man, they're falling away. They're going there. And these people weren't even Jewish people. And I, I know I'm talking, I'm going to define a lot of this stuff. These people weren't Jewish. They weren't Israelites. They were Gentiles. They were like me and you. We're not of Jewish descent, but they were people like us who had found out about the freedom in Christ. But now someone was telling them that they needed to be Jewish to be in God's family. Imagine that someone comes in and tries to disrupt your whole way of doing things. Paul was saying, like, you can believe in God, keep your culture, keep your traditions, keep what you do, just put your faith in Jesus Christ. These people were saying, nope, 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 nope. You got to do this, 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 and this. And they were giving them a set of rules and regulations, much like someone saying that the pastor shouldn't preach in a hat. But under Christ, I got freedom to preach in a hat. You know, you see what I'm saying? Rules, regulations, do this, do that. Come to church looking like this, do this. And Paul was saying like, nah, man, that's not what I taught you guys. So here's the first thing that Paul wants us to remember. This is the first thing that's worth remembering in this message of freedom is this. Grace is the greatest gift ever. Grace is, grace is the greatest gift ever. And if you go back to verse six, he says this. I am amazed. I am amazed, like, man, it's blowing my mind that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you. Who called you? God. By the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Grace, grace. You may be familiar with that term, grace. Grace is the inexhaustible goodness of God that is not deserved. We don't deserve God's goodness. It, it cannot be earned. You cannot earn God's grace in your life and which we can never repay. No matter what you do, no matter how perfect you are, you can never repay God for the grace that he's extended to us. Another simpler definition for it is unearned favor. Unearned favor, meaning that you have been marked by God, that you belong to God, that he loves you so much, and certain things are just gonna happen to you, for you, through you, because God loves you so much. Who can earn God's favor. All God has done from us flows from his unending grace and love for us. Grace is his character. God is a gracious God. And Paul says that when I came to you, all I came to you and preached was God's grace towards you. How much he loved you, how much he, he thinks about you on a, a constant basis, how you were made in his image and how you are, you're living below your means by living, by worshiping any other God but him. He has given us his son out of his love who died in our place so that we can be in relationship with him. See, the idea of grace is that grace comes from somebody in a position and they extend that grace to someone in a lower position. God is up here in everything and in everything we are down here. Not because we are made, not because we aren't valuable, but because of sin, which resides in all of our hearts. 
Come on now. There are certain things that you do that you don't even know why you do them. But you just you're just prone to do them. There are certain thoughts that you have that you're like, why am I even thinking about that? But no matter how much you try to shake it again, that thought comes. There are certain things, desires and temptations that we're all faced with. And we're like, what the heck is going on inside of me? Some of us like it, but some of us are like, I just wish I wasn't like this. You got to go back to the fall where we were when we be in the fall where we chose humanity chose. I don't care if you blame Eve or not. I don't care if you blame Adam or not. What it was was they were a representation of all of us. And what they said was, man, our way is better than God's way. And so now they stood in rebellion. They stood in rejection of the grace of God. And Paul writes and says, Jesus came to extend again the grace of God towards us. You guys flowing with me so far? This grace of God, this goodness of God, this love of God. When you don't love yourself, grace still abounds to you. When you're, st- when you're sinking in sand and you're like, man, this ain't going to never change. Grace abounds to you. What does that mean? That grace is constantly running after you. Grace is constantly coming your way. I don't care how long you've been saved. You still need the grace of God. I don't care if this is your first day in church. Good news is that the grace of God has been over your life every day of your life, bringing you to this moment so where you can hear the gospel message of how much Jesus Christ loves you. Paul says that I'm amazed that you would turn away from such a message like that and run back to bondage, to a lifestyle you ain't never even lived. You don't even know the first thing about keeping the law. What does it really mean to keep the Ten Commandments? You can't do it. And I'm surprised that you were run away from a free grace and voluntarily put on handcuffs and stay there. It's amazing to me. And Paul can say it to them like that because he has a relationship with them. He has a relationship with them. He's been with them. He spent time with them. He loved them. He cared for them. And he shared the grace of God with them. And the great news about it is that the gospel, which I'm going to define for you as the good news, the gospel is a product of grace. Come on now. When I look at my wife, she's a product of grace in my life because she has forgiven me. She has loved me through. She has helped me. She has done so much for me that I don't deserve. Any other lesser person would would have said, like, Marcus, like, you too much. And we have constant communication, conversation about how, like, dang, Marcus, you a whole lot. You are exhausting. And she exhausts me too. But you know what? Our marriage, we stick it out. And I look at her and I say, next to Jesus or below second to Jesus, she's the greatest gift I got. I don't deserve her. I never, I don't love her like she should be loved all the time. I don't support her like I should support her all the time. But guess what she still gives me? Grace. Guess what she still gives me? Love. Guess what God always gives you no matter what? Grace. Guess what he always gives you? His love. It never ends. It never fails. And you never, ever deserve it. Point two that Paul writes to us about is that there is no other gospel. There is no other good news. He writes this in verse seven. He says, not that there is another gospel. First off, there is no other gospel. 
There is no other message of good news. He says, not that there is one, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort or twist out of shape the true meaning of the gospel of Christ. There are people who take messages every now and you know, you know what, you know, the biggest problem with memes or the biggest problem with one minute sound bites on the, on inter, on the internet is that they take those messages out of context. How can you really understand something that you only hear a minute of? But how often do people hear a minute snippet of something and then run with it like they heard the whole message? We distort things. There are people among you who are distorting the message of the, of the gospel. Let me ask you a question. What's good news to you? It's rhetorical. We're not, we're not going to spend time in each one. Not going to do that. But what is good news to you? When you think about good news, what does that look like to you? I had a pastor friend who said when he started pastoring the church in Culver City, he went around from door to door because he didn't know the people. And he asked them, what is good news? What would good news look like to you today? And he got a various you know, array of, questions, of answers. It'll look like my rent being paid in full. Good news for me would be my daughter coming home who ran away. Good news for me would be, you know, my marriage, we're going to make it. Everybody had a different answer for what good news was to them. And a lot of times people can't receive the message of the gospel, the good news that what? That the, the definition of it is that God saves sinners through Jesus Christ. We can't receive that because I can't pay my rent. I'm not really thinking about my salvation right now. I'm thinking about where I'm going to sleep. I'm not really thinking about my salvation right now because I'm trying to get my next fix. I'm not really thinking about salvation right now because, you know, my kid is out there and I don't know where they are and I don't know where they're eating. I don't know where they're sleeping at. So a lot of times our salvation or the condition of our eternal life, our soul is secondary to what is proceeding in our life. And that's what we're lacking. But all of humanity has this hole and this wound in us that can only be filled by the grace of God. This is why Paul says to them, man, it's amazing that you're going away from the message that satisfies your soul like nothing else. And that there you are entertaining the thoughts and the words of people around you distorting the message of salvation. And truly good news for all humanity is that God saves us through our faith by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Remember, we were talking about the law, which is like the Ten Commandments, but there are more than Ten Commandments wrapped up in the Old Testament law. There's over like 600 of them. So if you want to live life keeping the law, then this is what we all got to do. I'm about to lay it down. So if anybody in here would want to live life keeping the, the law to be in relationship with God, this is what you got to do. So men, you gotta, if you're not circumcised, go get circumcised. We got a sign-up sheet outside. No one, no one's signing up for that, right? Yo, women, the next time, it's that time of the month, make sure for seven days you go away from your husband, from work, from your people, and sit in isolation because you are keeping the law, which means that on that time of the month, you have to be away from society. The next time you get a pimple, some sort of skin disease, something like that, you have to isolate yourself until that thing goes away. So make sure you get some toothpaste, put it on there, whatever it is you do to dry up the pimples or whatever little rash you got because you can't be around people if you got all these skin diseases. 
hey, if you have a deformity of any kind that we can see or can't see, you can't come to church. Keeping the law. I was riding in the car with my sister, oh, my daughter. Sorry, I'm riding in the car with my sisters. <laughs> I was riding in the car with my daughter down Hawthorne Boulevard, and we were behind the car, this Prius that said, that, that, that said black Hebrew Israelite. And it said Deuteronomy 28 and 29 and like Leviticus 26. If you don't know what a black Hebrew Israelite is, I'm about to hit you up. Groups of black Americans who believe that they, along with Latin Americans and Native Americans, are true descendants of the ancient Israelites, the people who the Judaizers, Israel, like we think about Jews. And because of this, they believe that in order to be in relationship with God, you have to live like I just described. And so many, but, but here's the twist, here's the thrust. Because they were birthed out of a lot of different things. People, the original people said that they saw a vision of God, yada, yada, yada. But a lot of black Americans are leaving traditional, not traditional faith, but what we know as Christianity and all that stuff because what black Israelites, Hebrew Israelites do is give us some sort of sense of identity, that I can be free of the religion that enslaved my ancestors, that I can be a part of God's family, but I can be true to who I am. And they believe that you don't, you don't need Jesus, you just need to keep the law, because Christianity was used to enslave us. So in an attempt to have you know, racial freedom and all that stuff, they have left the gospel to put on handcuffs and go back to the law. That's just one. Hispanics by droves, Hispanic millennials are leaving the Catholic church and going to Islam. Again, which does not, who believes that Jesus was a good man, but not the God man. And so by works righteousness, by keeping, by being good and by being moral, I can be in relationship with God. So if you're saying that moralism, there is a high standard of moralism, that means that you're saying that, there, that I'm not it. If your standard of moralism is not it, then who is? Whose is? There is a perfect moral law and everybody in humanity has fallen short of it. The only person to keep it in, in, in like it's supposed to be kept was Jesus Christ. Do you see why Paul was talking about, he taught, Paul was talking about that stuff then. And do you see in our society today how it's still a prevalent question? Am I saved by faith alone in Jesus or by some work I do? Hey, how many people know when, de when demons were around, Jesus spoke to the demon and he said, get up out of here. He told him to be quiet. He told him to leave. He told him to get out, whatever it is he told him. He never burned sage. He didn't burn sage and say, I'm, I'm clarifying the negativity in the air. The evil spirits light this sage up. Sage may have some medicinal purposes. It may be a good incense and all that stuff. But nowhere in the Bible have you ever heard someone burning sage to get rid of an evil spirit. Jesus transferred his authority to his followers and said, you speak to the demon." You speak to your situation. You use the power that I've given you. You speak to whatever's going on in your life. If you feel like there's negativity around you, 
speak life to the situation. If you feel like that somebody's being tormented by evil spirits, but, but again, too, because we live in a society, too, that doesn't want to talk about demons, that doesn't want to talk about hell, that doesn't want to talk about sin. So what is it then? What is it then? And so I'm riding in the car with my daughter. We see that. And she's like, do you, it took her a long time to catch it. I'm like, we've been in traffic. And my daughter's like, ooh, 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 ooh. I'm like, and then she cues in like, oh, daddy, do you see that? And then it gave me an opportunity to talk with her about what that is. The law robs us of freedom in Christ because it changes, chains us to religion, rules, and a never-ending cycle of failure to keep trying to earn God's approval. How many of you have ever tried to do something to make someone like you and it just didn't work? And what did you find yourself doing? Keep having to do that just so that they would like you and they're not even paying attention to you. How many times you post something looking for a ton of likes, you got 10 and you were like, oh, my life is over. I posted the same thing they posted. How come they didn't like my stuff? They're not even paying attention. But you're trying to earn something that should be freely given to you. Acceptance that has already been purchased to us by Christ. Paul is saying like, yo, man, y'all already got this. You've already believed this. You've already been set free. The power of sin no longer has control over you. You don't have to do what you feel. You can, you can bring that under subjection. You can live a better life than that through the power of the Holy Spirit because God has made a deposit in you. You are not where you come from. You don't have to do what you feel. Most of the time your feelings are lying to you. You have a better power inside of you given to you by Christ Jesus. Don't let people distort, twist up the truth that you know is truth. Come on, who are you listening to? Who's influencing you? Because too often we give in to the influence. What's popular? What's everybody else doing? You know what? I have my questions about Christianity anyway. I always knew it was something funny with it. So you, 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 you keep what you like about Christianity, but then you intermingle all this other stuff. Putting it together. What you like? Oh, you don't like, you know, what God says about sex? Okay, well, then I'll, I'll keep whatever other stuff I like about sex. If you don't like what God says about money, then you... You don't you exclude that and you keep whatever else you like and you build this religion made of sage burning, made of um, works earning, made of all kind of other stuff. And you are so far away from the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you don't even know it. But if anybody spent some time around you, they would know it. So then keeping the law bends toward a belief that God isn't as gracious as he says he is. Come on, we talked about grace at the beginning, right? It's God's character. It flows from his love from us. That's what he gives us grace for. But when you say that that's not enough, then you're bending yourself towards a belief that's saying God is not who he says he is. He's not as gracious as he says he is, which, que which questions goes back to the original question. Am I saved by Jesus alone? or by Jesus plus some work that I do. Because God can't be that loving, can he? Can God be that gracious, that forgiving, that accepting? Can God be so much into me 
that even what I did on my worst day, he still accepts me because my faith in Christ brings me in right standing with him. The big theological word for right standing is justification, which is a legal term for which, which means like as if I never sinned. So even though I, excuse me, I know I've sinned, Jesus died for my sins, but God sees me as justified as if I never sinned, as if I never cussed out my mom behind her back. I've never looked at something I shouldn't have looked at. I never stole something that didn't belong to me. Are you saying that I'm, I, when God sees me, he sees Christ and we all good? He can't be that good. Cause that's not, that's my dad left and he said he loved me. My mom left, but she let that her boyfriend do whatever he wanted to do to me. If the people closest to me don't love me like that, how can this guy who I can't see love me like that? He's not that gracious. He's not that good. He's not that kind. No, nah, man, not that God. But in Christ Jesus, he takes all of that, all of that pain, all of that rejection, all of that disappointment, all of that. He puts it on his back called the cross and he carries it to a place and he lets them nail him to it. He lets them beat him all night. That He lets them mock him. They, he lets people reject him so that God would never reject us. That is a good place to say amen. 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 So in light of all of that, right? Because I know I'm, I'm a person just like that. You are a person just like that. We know people just like that. Then what should we do? What does Paul remind us to do in light of all that? The last thing he tells us to do is speak truth. Speak truth. My man, speak truth. Come on, the people waiting for you. <laughs> Speak truth. He closes out the argument with these words in verse in Galatians chapter 1 and 10. For am I now trying to persuade people or God? Am I trying to get God to give me grace? Or am I striving to please people by promoting religious traditions? If I was still trying to please people by promoting things that they would be happy with, like no hats in church, you can't come in here dressed like that. Um, you know, if you having some sexual identity issues, there's a church down the street for that. If you are, you know, in the middle of doing, if you are in the middle of a relationship that, you know, you sleeping with somebody, don't come here because we don't need all that drama. If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ because Christ sat down and had one-on-one -on -one conversations with people just like that all day long. Come on, he was okay with you sagging your pants. He was okay with you not knowing how to walk into the temple. He didn't care about any of that because what he cared about was you and he cared about the condition you were in and he cared about how the society was beating you up and you didn't feel like you fit, but he said, yo, you fit with me. So then as a Christian, as a believer, what should I do? I should be speaking truth that God loves you no matter what. We got to speak truth because we live in a world that does not value truth. We value a version of truth. Yo, speak your truth. 
Well, my truth may not be truth at all. It may just be what I want you to know about me. So again, I can be, you can accept me. Speak your truth. Donald Trump speaks truth all the time. His truth. And we all like, that's that, that, what is that? Our, you know, we're in an election year. Everybody wants to hear a version of truth. But do you really want the truth? We live in a world that intermingles various religious beliefs and then calls it truth. I'm a spiritualist. This is what I do. I meditate. You know, I mean, you know, I do this. We're going to burn up these crystal. Oh, the crystal got me. What? The crystal's a rock. You picked it up. The crystal didn't pick you up. But we live in a world intermingling all this stuff. And they don't want to hear the gospel message. And it's not being offensive, man. Don't get me wrong. You're not supposed to be going there and tell everybody that they're wrong, going to hell and all that stuff. No. But what I'm saying is that as a Christian, I should stand on what I believe just like everybody else stands on what they believe. I shouldn't feel like I have to get off my stance to make people feel comfortable about their stance. Paul's saying like, yo, am I trying to please people? Because if I was trying to please people, I can't be a servant of Christ. I would be turning my back on the one who never turned his back on me for all these people who ain't never had my back. You got to ask yourself, who are you living for? Because whatever you compromise, whatever you get by compromising, you have to compromise to keep. So if you've never stood up for your faith, and you got a bunch of friends, then the moment you stand up for your faith, they, not, man, they may not be around anymore. Are you going to be cool with that? Because there were a ton of people who left Jesus, and then he turned around to the 12 closest to him and said, you going to leave me too? We got to speak truth. We got to speak life. And this is, oh, we're a church plant, right? I've been saying that all day. We're just starting. If I wanted to grow a church with a lot of people, I don't know if I would have preached this message. If I wanted to just draw a bunch of crowds, would I, would I preach the gospel or would I preach what people want to hear? Because ain't nothing I ever heard changed my life like the gospel. That Jesus loves me, that Jesus is for me. And there are a ton of churches all over the city doing great things, preaching the gospel. Don't get me wrong. But in the age that we live in today, there are so many other people that are saying, like, yo, man, if you want to do this, don't, don't say that. If you want this, don't say that. And it's like, man, then it's, it's always a battle because am I trying to please God? Am I trying to please people? The things I want to do, I don't do. The things that I do want to do, I don't do. It's just like, it's just a never even battle. So how do we live this? How do we do this? Application. How do we live out what we just talked about? Why, why is this worth remembering? What should I do now if I am a Christian? You got to listen and learn, but not entertain people who have different religious beliefs than you. You got to listen and learn, like have conversations, man. I love to have a conversation with a, a black Hebrew Israelite. I have. Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, people don't have no faith at all. I, I talked to somebody at my sister's house who was just like, so what do you, 
What is, what is your view? Do you believe what you believe because someone told you or do you believe what you believe because you believe it? I've had conversations like that. And so we got to learn and listen so that we know how to share or how to defend. There are moments where it's just a setup, man. People are asking you questions because they want you to share their, your faith with them. They want to know that there's something beyond this life, that there's something better than how they live. They, they want to know it. And you're in position to share it, but then there are also times where you gotta defend it so you can only defend what you know. You can only defend what you know, and if you're not growing in your faith, then no, you can't defend your faith. So we listen and learn, not so we can adopt, but so that we can share and we can defend. Number two, remember where Jesus has brought you from. Your greatest weapon as, as far as helping people see what you see about God is your own testimony. What has God done for you? How did he change you? Don't tell them, um, again, people don't really care about what pastors are saying, but you are close enough to them to be a light to them. How did Jesus change your life? How did Jesus get you out of that dark time? Who is Jesus to you? Remember where he brought you from. And as you remember where he brought you from, you give thanks to him. You meditate on that often. You'll be able to share with other people how God set you free. And number three, you got to stand firm. I just talked about that a little earlier. Stand firm on your faith. Come on, stop being swayed. Like, oh, like don't be a twig in the wind that just gets blown around. That sounds good. Oh, yeah, I like how that made me feel. And yada, yada. There are a lot of things that make sense. But I'm not moving off this rock that I built my life on. I'm not moving off this rock. That makes sense. I, my, the humanity in me can see, okay, I can see how that makes sense. But the spirit inside of me says that's all lies. And I want to know how that's going to work for you because it, it don't really seem like it's producing that great. But this is what's worked for me. This is what got me to where I am today. This is what saved my marriage. This is what saved my life. This was what had me loving my kids every day, going to work. Being, I mean, like that just sounds like, oh, we do that stuff all the time. No, man, this has me not thinking suicidal thoughts. This has me, you know, I'm saying focused and laser locked on where does God want me to be and how does he want me to be? And I, I'm chasing after him because he chases after me all the time. I'm standing firm on this foundation. And there's plenty of room for anybody else who wants to stand with me. But I'll talk to you, but I'm not going to adopt anything that you believe if it interferes with the gospel of Christ. Amen. Let's stand up all over the building. And I just want to pray over us for renewed faith and strength just so that we can stand on our faith in Jesus Christ. Is there anyone who would, who, who would say they need that prayer today? A prayer for strength, to stand on what you believe. A prayer to say that I need to remember the grace of God in my own life and who God says he is. Someone who needs the strength to, to not, not, not feel bad about your testimony, but understand that God's done some great things in your life and he wants to continue to do great things in your life. Come on. Come on. Being addicted, I'm not addicted no more. I've been set free. You know, I, 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 the shame, I don't feel shame anymore. I've been set free. The freedom of Christ frees me from shame. It doesn't matter what I did. God doesn't see me for what I did. He sees me for who I am. Come on, is there anybody who needs that prayer? 
will say that I need to stand toe to toe with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Standing firm on the faith. So Father God, in Jesus name, Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that grace is not a term we just throw around, but grace is who you are. It flows out of your character, God. You don't know how to not be gracious. You don't know how to not love. You don't know how to not help us because that's who you said you are. You are a deliverer. You are our strong tower. You are our rock and our foundation, God. You are our provider. You are the source and the health of all that, that exists. You hold it all together, Father. And the most precious thing you've ever created is us. Made in your image made in your likeness. Through your Holy Spirit, you've given us the mind of Christ. We can think like you. We can handle ourselves through self-control, Father. We're just scratching the surface of this series, Freedom, Lord, but there's gonna be more that you're gonna challenge us with. There's gonna be more that will be revealed as a result of having freedom in Christ. So God, I pray for strength for my brothers and sisters. I pray for strength for us to go out and live the life that Jesus has given us through the power of your Holy Spirit, Father, to be slow to speak, quick to listen. And even if it makes sense what someone is telling us, Father, that we won't stray away from our faith. God, you are everything that you said you are, everything we need, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everybody who agrees with that prayer said, amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap this morning. The last thing I'll tell you is, hey, thank you for being here again. Go impact people that will impact the city. God bless you.